With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I'm with uh, the Snooker Scene editor, Clive Everton, for another summer special. We can actually call it that uh, this time because it's really, really hot outside. And uh, this podcast uh, has uh, been heard in over 100 countries. So uh, thank you wherever you are for listening. And uh, today we're going to be talking... Well, we're catching up on what's been happening of late Neil Robertson winning the Riga Open, Antony McGill winning the Indian Open, and later on we're going to be discussing the art of snooker commentary. But we start in Riga. Um, first tournament of the season, Clive, I suppose it was hard to sort of see who'd be in form, who wouldn't, but I guess it's no great surprise when Neil Robertson wins a tournament. No, and it's always a good thing to get off to a good start in in the new season. Uh, it's strange uh, how the, the calendar is set up uh, this year. It's almost like we get a false start mm. with uh, two or three tournaments, and of course this is because there's so much happening in the wider world of sport that you don't want clashes for for television purposes. Mm. Good for Neil as well to to just start, you know, with a with a solid win. He's not entering everything during the summer because he's gone back to Australia, which is fair enough. But you know, he's already got one on the board. Uh, absolutely, get 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 the points up there. I was interested in Michael Holt's uh, run because because he beat Robertson at the Crucible, played terrifically well. And I mean, he's always been a fantastically talented player, but he's now got this mental focus, hasn't he? He's been working with Terry Griffiths. It's obviously made a massive difference. Well, you've said it all there, there David, because uh, uh, Holt, as, as you say, has always had all the shots, um, but so so often he's uh, uh, combusted, imploded, put it put it put it how you like. He's been his own worst enemy, but uh, he he's managed to get into better habits of thinking under Terry Griffiths, who's basically seen it all and done it all and uh, I, I, I think that he, he'll stay around his new high level perhaps even slightly higher for, for, for the new season because uh, it, it, it's so important what's, what's in your head hmm. I kind of admire as well the way he's, he's sort of stuck it out because he's had so many sort of setbacks and disappointments over the years but I guess we'll talk later about actually about David Lilly, the amateur. But when it's in your blood, you know, you, I suppose you always think, well, next time it could be better, and, it, and it's getting better for him. Well, he loves the game mm. uh, because you ask yourself after 
a lot of disappointment sometimes. Well, maybe it's time to give up. But then you, you, you think, how would I feel if I did give up? At least if you keep going, you've got the hope of turning it around and, and hold ours. Absolutely. Well, the next tournament, of course, the Indian Open, which has just finished uh, recently as we record this, and uh, a breakthrough, significant breakthrough for Scotland's Anthony McGill. Again, you know, a player, very talented. I remember talking to Alan McManus about him, and he said, no two ways about it, he'll, he'll be a tournament winner. And, of course, Alan is very knowledgeable, and he turns out to be right. He won that event, beat Karen Wilson in the final. And, uh, I mean, there's a piece in the, in the new issue of Snooker, in the August issue about him. He is very dedicated, isn't he, to Snooker? He's got the game, and more important, he's got the right attitude. Um, he, he had a bit of a blow, really, when Marcus Campbell, um, who he practised with a lot, uh, fell off the tour, and he, he was <coughs> finding it difficult to get the right kind of practice uh, opposition. Um, and uh, he, he didn't really have a great season last season until he got to the Crucible. Um, but he was absolutely determined to really get stuck into the practice um, between the Crucible and the start of the new season and uh, we, we saw the, uh, the benefit of that not only in, uh, in Latvia where he, he thought he, he was convinced he was going to win that tournament mm. before he ran into Michael Holm mm. and, and he did win in, in, in Hyderabad. Um, so I, I think he'll, he's up to 18th now and I think he'll continue to climb. I think it's always good to see new winners, but particularly new young winners. And uh, he didn't fall victim to, uh, well, it's a crucible curse that I've just made up, but uh, quite often down the years, there's been surprise quarter-finalists. Lee Walker was one, Patrick Wallace was one, and they didn't really push on from that. Uh, in more recent times, Jamie Jones got to the quarters, didn't really do anything the next year. Michael White actually got to the quarters, didn't do much the next year, although, of course, he's since won tournaments. So Anthony McGill got to the quarters 2015, Last season was really quiet until he beat Sean Murphy at the Crucible, but maybe just that one result, he ended the season on a, on a positive note and came into this season feeling good, and he actually said, didn't he, he went straight to practice, he didn't have a break. Yeah, well, you've, you've just got to keep going, haven't you? Uh, I, think, I think with some players who, who get to one quarter-final and more or less that's it, uh, what, and you mentioned... Uh, uh, Patrick Wallace, uh, Lee Walker. Uh, I think not necessarily in their cases, but in similar cases. Uh, I, I think a, a great performance like that, and it is, a, and it is a great performance to reach a, a crucible quarterfinal. It, it raises their own expectations. Instead of saying, "Well, that's exceptional for me," they think that that's their standard, mm. and they, they start to measure themselves against it, and that can only lead to frustration and disappointment. Also, I think that because it's such a big deal, the World Championship, and everyone's watching, and you become, you know, well known from it. And then always the new season will always start, you know, in in wherever they have the qualifying Barnsley, Wigan, or whatever. And you kind of, it, it is sort of back to reality sort of thing. It maybe takes a bit of getting used to. But I think Anthony McGill, um, he's had a good grounding. You mentioned Marcus Campbell, Alan McManus as well. He's practiced with John Higgins. There is something about the Scots that. Without wishing, well, actually, no, wishing to generalise, there's something about the Scots. They don't let it go to their heads, do they? They're very grounded. You, you can't get flash and above yourself. And Anthony said, you know, I'm not going to go spending this money. I'll just go on the bank and finance my career. They're, ve they're a very grounded lot. I'm just trying to think of somebody of a Scot that isn't. But, I, so, <laughs> but in the absence of being able to think about, uh, think of one that I... Well, John Higgins has never been flash. Has he? No. Hendry earned a lot of money. He was never... All right, he had his nice cars and so on. But you, he didn't go in, you know, acting... Flash. No, no. 
No, you, you, you're right. And uh, in McGill's case, he spends um, a, a lot of time when he's not um, actually practicing. He, he, he goes on YouTube a lot, studies mm. old matches. Um, he, he, he's really his mind is on snooker all the time. Mm. He's also a vegan, as is Neil Robertson. Peter Ebden was was keen to <laughs> to point this out. First two tournaments of the season been won by vegans. We're not going to go into that because we're, we're, certainly not ex we're certainly not experts on it. But I suppose it can make a difference if you have the discipline to make that lifestyle change. You maybe it helps you with the discipline to to you know to play a professional sport. I don't know. Well, simply it shows that you have considerable self-discipline. I, I I couldn't do a ve vegan diet. No, well, um, all those breakfasts at uh, the Championship League would be a thing of the, <laughs> thing of the past, wouldn't they? Um, <laughs> It's good to see a young winner, and, and I was wondering, is this part of the sort of the, the next wave? Because, of course, he beat Kyron Wilson in the final. He's already a tournament winner and very highly rated. Michael White won the Indian Open previous staging. It's good to see a few young, young players coming through, isn't it? It's what the game needs. It is, but I'm not so sure that, that, that two events equal one trend, you know. Mm. I mean, we, we've got all sorts of players winning, uh, winning titles. Mark Selby is world champion. Let's not forget, he's, he's 32. Uh, he's in the sort of middle phase of his career, his peak years really. Mm. We've had young winners and uh, we, we've had older players doing exceptionally well. And, and let's not forget that Ronnie O'Sullivan is an older player yeah. these, these days. You don't think of Ronnie as that though, do you? I mean, I know he is 40, but you just you, you always have feeling that he's kind of still as he was when he was a teenager. I think in many respects he is. Yeah. Ronnie actually at the minute is going across America with Matt Smith, the TV presenter, filming a documentary about... American pool, so that's what he's doing. It's all right for some, isn't it? Um, well, we, that might be Snooker's new wave. What about Snooker's old wave? Because uh, Darren Morgan, who of course he was in the Riga Open, he would won a, a sort of qualifying event during the European Championship, got to the semi-finals. That was the first time in 30 years that a 50-something had got to a ranking event semi-final. And then you wait 30 years for that to happen, then it happens in the next tournament. Nigel Bond came through, got to the semis of the Indian Open. Firstly, Darren. I mean, Darren, he always tells people he doesn't play snooker here and there. He plays a lot, doesn't he? Well, he's got his own club, the, the, the Red Triangle. I, I can't believe he, he doesn't uh, uh, knock a few balls around most days. But what it shows you, because people say, you know, standards going up all the time. I think certainly standards in terms of strength and depth are higher than they've ever been. But let's not forget how good Darren was in his heyday. I mean, he was a top eight player, he won the Irish Masters, and he was a regular in the latter stages of the tournament. So great to see him doing well again. It is. Uh, I think the key factor is, is that old <coughs> favourite love, love of the game. If you, if you want to do it, then you, you, you can do it. Obviously, there comes a certain age when you can't do mm. it, but uh, I, I think sort of uh, 40 or, or even 50, it's still possible if you, if you apply yourself and you really want to do it, it can be done. And I think in Nigel Bond's case, he's sort of had a new lease of life. He's working at this Victoria Academy in Sheffield and working with a lot of the young, particularly Chinese players. That seems to have done him a lot of good. We had a piece in from Michael McMullen in the last issue about the fact that he's not retiring. There was talk that he might, but he's carrying on. And again, you know, he absolutely loves it. He's, I mean, he has lived and breathed snooker, hasn't he, his whole life? Yes, I think it's different now. He's got a new avenue to go down. He knows that if, if, he, if he stops winning matches, it's not all over. Uh, so the pressure's off to some degree, and yet again, he does love the game. Mm. Also, he's looked after himself. He's never been what you might call a hellraiser, Nigel. I mean, he's uh, you know he's he's been a proper pro, 
and uh, but can still get results. That's the point. You know, he, he, he he's not. He obviously doesn't see it as just making up the numbers. He's he's there to be a competitive player. I think he he, he goes to. Any match he plays with the same attitude, I'm going to give it my best. If I win, that's great. And if I don't, I'm not going to get too excited about that. So I guess at the moment in snooker, age is basically irrelevant, isn't it? It's, it's, you can't really, like you said, you can't really sort of apply any great logic to it. It's just who does well in what tournament. And there's so many tournaments, more than ever now, there's so much opportunity. It'll be very interesting to see just what spread we get <coughs> of winners in the coming season. Mm. And, and if any teenagers can can win anything, because you know we talk about the young players, but McGill and and, and Wilson and, the, and those guys, they're actually mid twenties. You know, and you look back, people like O'Sullivan, Williams, Higgins, Hendry had already won world titles by then. So it's whether we get a real sort of superstar who's really young. Well, they were exceptional, weren't they? Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 O'Sullivan was the the exceptional one among all the other exceptionals. Mm. One man who didn't turn professional was David Lilly, who was a three times English amateur champion. Um, but he had this great run in India as well. He got to the quarterfinals, beat Mark Williams. Of course, he was playing as a, as a Q school top-up. Um, he's what you might call a proper amateur. Well, he, he, he'd been working in insurance, uh, well, forever it seems. And when he won the English amateur championship for the first of the, of the three times he, he, he won it, uh, he, he could have turned professional, but he, he compared his job, where, which was absolutely rock solid with, with, with a pension, and uh, playing on a tour which then had only eight tournaments, and uh, the, play, the players had to win um, three matches against good opposition even to get to a venue. Uh, and he, he just added it all up and thought, you know, it, it's, just, it's just too dicey. Yeah, but he, he still, I mean, so you like you say, he has a full-time job in insurance, but then most nights he's, you know, goes home, has his dinner and so on, sees the family and then goes off to practice. Well, remarkable self-discipline. Uh, uh, who would, how many players after a day's work, uh, getting home at quarter past six, uh, play with their children, have a meal and then go out at about nine o'clock to practice for an hour and a half on his own. Uh, I mean, it, it's remarkable, and, and uh, yeah, dedication like that deserves its reward. Mm. Yeah, there's this sort of thing, though, about... Cause he, can't actually earn, he can keep the money, can't he, but he can't earn ranking points, which is one of these grey areas. It's, they let amateurs play in the tournaments, but they're not sort of ranked. I mean, it's, what do you think of that? Well, the... the that's been amended recently. Okay. If if he does, if if his Indian Open points are supplemented by some other top up points in subsequent tournaments, and he finishes in the top sixty four, mm. then he would be allowed to keep his place. But I think that that all players who play in all of, in in any events, there should be a ranking list. If it goes down to a thousand places. Like it does in tennis, then that, that that that's fair enough. I think there's nothing like a ranking list to stimulate interest, mm. it, even for somebody who's perhaps not that brilliant. He, he might take satisfaction from making the top 200 mm. in tennis. The, the Mr. Number 200 is a pretty good player. Yeah, some people argue though that uh, on the World Professional Tour there shouldn't be amateurs in tournaments. If you can't get a full field, you just have walkovers. I, I'm not in favour of, of exclusionism in, in any form. OK. Well, that's what's been happening of late. Uh, the next 
tournament is the Paul Hunter Classic in August, and then the season kind of starts for real, I guess, in September, and obviously up throughout the, the winter and into the new year. Plenty coming up. For the rest of this podcast, we're going to talk about snooker commentary. Obviously, Clive is the doyen of snooker commentator, so it's worth hearing his views about the way, I guess, it's changed over the years, and also some of the disciplines involved. The, the early years of commentary, it was basically Ted Lowe sat in the audience. That's why he... he got the nickname Whispering Ted Lowe because he had to whisper otherwise obviously we put the players off um, and then I guess as, as Torment Snooker came onto TV a sort of pattern emerged Clive where you would have the sort of the broadcaster as it were and the player it was sort of commenta- commentator summariser was how it started yes uh, and I, I think that's still the, the, the best the best way <clears throat> the responsibility of the lead commentator is to give uh, first reaction uh, fill in uh, any any factual points which uh, seem relevant, basically lead lead a conversation. Um, if his summariser raises a controversial point, it's the duty of the lead commentator to to put the contra- the, the contrary point, even if actually he agrees mm. with him. Mm. Uh, so so you, you you have a balanced <coughs> debate. I think if you have Two players together, as you as you often do. Well, you always do now on 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 um, on, on BBC. Um, then you, you, they tend to want to say the same things, and very often you find a commentary just turns into a series of shot analyses. And I think there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, I think that you know the, the the sort of lead commentator role is you're there to sort of give context, aren't you? As you say, give information, give relevant information, and sort of. Guide guide the the viewer through what it means, not necessarily why he's playing that shot, but obviously if they played before, you know, and relevant meetings before, and just provide context. But I was going to ask you though, when you started, were you sort of given these things as rules, or was this just something that sort of happened? Well, we were actually given a rule at one okay. point when Nick Hunter was the first uh, executive producer in charge of snooker. He decreed that there must not be a comment on any more than three consecutive shots, <laughs> which I thought was taking it to yeah. excess, because you can have an exchange where you can have ten consecutive shots, all of which require a comment. Mm. But but um, uh, he, he was pretty insistent. He was pretty insistent on that, uh, and, and in any case, he he was insistent on not too much crossing the line. The, the summariser was there to analyse the shots. The the, the the lead commentator was there to do what you've just said he was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Was, was was there occasions where him or another producer would have to basically tell anyone to, to shut up? Well, uh, uh, back in the day, uh, I remember Willie Thorne was, was over-talking and when he didn't heed a warning, he was summarily thrown out of the country <laughs> box. <laughs> but it, it doesn't seem to have done his subsequent career any harm. no. So why is it then, I, I mean, I think all sport on telly has changed. You listen to cricket now. I mean, Richie Benno in his day, you know, it, it, it was often about what he didn't say as much as what he did say. Because when he did speak, it was worth listening to. Tennis, they didn't used to talk that much. It seems now, like, talk is, is just incessant. I mean, I was watching Wimbledon. There were a lot of matches at Wimbledon where they had three commentators, which just seemed like total overkill. But that's the fashion now, I guess. Well, I think also broadcasters tend to sort of sign up experts, you know, former champions, and then they think, oh, well, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it can be a lot of overtalk. And also, in some of the more, some of the the less important matches with the less with the the, the less renowned commentators, what what I noticed was 
an absolutely incessant determination to 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 to, to tell you what you're what you're actually watching you know mm. you've got to uh, illuminate what's going on not 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 repeat the umpire for example mm. it's interesting though a lot of Wimbledon I mean I was watching the tennis and they still in the main stuck to the what we described as a traditional arrangement, so you had a, a lead commentator. Quite often they were actually an ex-tennis player, but they were more... I mean, Andrew Castle, I think, as a, as a journalist. Oh, yeah. More, more than a tennis player. That's no offence to him, by the way. That's actually a compliment. Uh, but he does that lead role really well. I, but it just wouldn't work in some sports. You, imagine football. If you had two footballers commentating on a, on a match, it would just be a car crash. Well, well, <laughs> you, 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 just, you just don't have... Uh... Clive Tildesley and Sam Matterface on the same commentary, exactly, do you? Exactly, yeah, 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 exactly. So let's go through then, because I think people will be interested. If, if you're commentating, say, say you're doing the, the Champion of Champions for ITV, so the match starts at one o'clock, so what is, your, what is your preparation, what is your day up until you start commentating? Well, I, I, I would take it pretty, pretty easy in the morning, um, uh, but I would make sure I'd got um, all, all my notes about me, which are... Which are supplied. I'm, I'm glad to say, uh, get a few um, facts, relevant facts, uh, fixed fixed in my head. Um, <coughs> when it comes to the commentary itself, I, I, I might sort of have some idea about what my opening remark is going to be, but after that, I would pretty much wing it. Mm. And uh, so, I, I think you can you can over prepare, can't you? But would you necessarily, if you see one of the players, say Mark Selby's playing, would you? Just have a brief word with him, see if anything sort of happened that you need to know, or do you sort of leave them alone to prepare? I, I tend to leave the players alone. Um, uh, I mean, it, 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 if 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 he, if he just happened to be having breakfast on the next table, there'd be some sort of conversation, but there mm. wouldn't be anything heavy to do with the match. Mm. And is every match? Do you treat every match the same, or if you're going into the final, is the is there more preparation, or is there more need to focus, or is it all just kind of the same? I, I, I think I think psychologically finals are a little bit different. You think, well, this is it. You know, the, the, this is this is the most important uh, match of the week. Mm. But in terms of enjoyment, um, I, 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 it's quite likely that I could enjoy quite a poor match in terms of quality mm. between two of the lesser lights uh, if it was close and dramatic, mm. rather than one of the one of the top players just brushing somebody aside. Uh, mm. To what extent are you thinking, or maybe when are you thinking about towards the end of a match or the end of a final, how are you going to sort of wrap it up? I think when you get a sense uh, through what could be the final frame, you, you, you start to run a few things through your mind about how you're going to, uh, how you're going to round, round, off, uh, round off the commentary. Uh, of course, uh, I remember doing this when when O'Sullivan um, won the, won the, um, the the world championship, and I was into my sort of closing, what I thought was my closing <laughs> speech, and he missed. <laughs> yeah. So, so we had to rapidly rapidly rewind and uh, think of something else. Yeah. There's a, one thing that um, I've actually heard people comment on it is this thing about you and I because we're journalists. If I'll use Mark Selby again as an example, if he's playing. We'll say Selby. Selby has, you know, has done this. Selby's done that. A lot of commentators, particularly the players, will say Mark. Now, to me, the correct way is Selby because it implies a distance. It implies we're not pals and we don't know them and all that. Even if we do know them, that's not the point. There is a distance there. But some people seem to prefer the other way. 
I don't think you should you should ever get too chummy mm. with the players. I agree with you completely that you the commentator should keep some sort of formality in it, some mm. sort of, some sort of distance. Uh, at, at cricket, you don't you 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 don't you don't hear to hear oh uh, you know Jimmy's bowling. It's Anderson's bowling, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Also, it's, I think it's, it suggests it's more serious if, if you use the surnames. And I think it, there are occasions where, again, we Mark in um, Germany last year was in the final with Shaw Murphy, and last frame of the first session he made this great clearance and. I just went to the hotel and he just happened to get in the lift with me and I just had a very brief chat about it. And I was able to say for the second session, oh yeah, I saw Mark earlier on. Now that's different because that's like a slight anecdote. So I think that's okay. But in the main, surnames, it's yeah. got to be, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, so I think you, you can answer this, Clive. In terms of, you've, had, you've commentated with a lot of people down the years. Do you have sort of, have you had favourites that you've worked with? Well, Neil Fold stands out as mm. the uh, as the best um, as the best summariser of, of this or, or any other generation. Mm. But but I, I've I've um, I've enjoyed working with practically everybody I, I, I've worked with. I enjoyed working with with John Virgo mm. and Dennis Taylor, and uh, I, I can say I, I think they're they're much better summarisers than lead commentators. But they're into a sort of lead commentator's role, which I, I I don't think uses their talents to best advantage. What makes Neil so good? He may be listening, but we don't embarrass him, but what, what, makes, what makes Neil so good? Well, he, he works at it professionally. Mm. He, 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 he knows what's going on in, 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 the, in the snooker world. He knows the, the significance of, of, of a match, which, which is, of course, partly a... a, a, a a lead commentator's function as well, but he, he, he was a top player. He knows the game as it is played on the table. He knows it inside out, uh, and he, he's got good delivery. He's succinct. He, he doesn't waffle. Um, he's funny as well, isn't he? He's very yeah, funny. yes, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I think he's the, he's the best of the breed. What I like about Neil is he he's not he will give an opinion. In the studio or the commentary box, if he's asked a question, it's not on the one hand this, on the other hand that. He will just say what he thinks, and he's not worried about then having to go to the players' room and somebody coming up and saying you shouldn't have said that. He will just say what he thinks, which is what what he's being paid to do. Very important. Mm. So looking ahead then to the sort of future, which current players could become commentators? Because I did um, a couple of frames in Germany, German Masters last season in Berlin with, with Ronnie O'Sullivan because he was working for Eurosport. Wasn't sure how that was going to go. And he was excellent. And it wasn't a great match. It was the semi-final between Graham Dot and Martin Gould. He was only supposed to do one frame. It wasn't a great frame. At the end of it, he said, can I do the next one? Which was a good sign. Mm. And it was just really interesting hearing his uh, views of the shots played or shots that maybe shouldn't have been played. And he was really into it. And I thought, he can do this. He, this is a career for him, definitely. Uh, I think most of the players that, that have got a few words mm. at, at, at their disposal, they can do it. I think the key is how much they want to, and mm. it, it was uh, really good that, 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 that Ronnie wanted to. Mm. Whether he whether he, he would have stuck it out if it had been a 6-5 at midnight, I don't know. But I, I tell you what, he, he was excellent, and of course you can't argue with his insight into the game and, and shot choices and so on. Sean Murphy strikes me as someone who, who will, will end up doing this sooner rather than later as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any others you think? I mean, what what is the sort of obviously having been there and done it is one thing, but that's not necessarily. I mean, going back to Neil, Neil was never world champion. But it's not about that, is it? It's about, I guess, being able to communicate. 
being able to communicate, being having the words to say something that, 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 that's interesting rather than use the same stock phrases over mm. and over again. Mm. Do you still enjoy the commentary? You've been at it a long time. I love it, and, and I miss the BBC commentary desperately. Well, I think the BBC viewers miss you, Clive. Um, OK, well, that's, uh, that's that then. Well, thank you for listening. It's, uh, again, it's been a, a, a bit of a summer special. We will be back with more regular podcasts later in the year. Not next month, because I'm in Edinburgh. This is my monthly chance to plug my play, The D-List, which is on at the Edinburgh Festival from August the 3rd. Tickets available, very much available, <laughs> from the website edfringe.com. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Clive. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Well, we, we won't see you. You'll hear us. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.